Hello, welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement with your host, Randy Sutton. I'm a retired police lieutenant, 34 years of police service, the author of A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. But most importantly, I'm the founder of The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers, a 501c3 national uh, organization that helps injured and disabled cops. On this show, we talk about all things law enforcement, and I love to bring you interesting guests, and I'm going to fulfill that today. I'm going to bring in Glenn Topping. I'll give you a little background about Glenn. He's a retired uh, sheriff sergeant from the Broward County Sheriff's, uh, hostage negotiator on SWAT for 13 years, organized crime detective, patrol supervisor, was featured. Now, this is where we share share a little history. Um, he was featured on the uh, on the show Cops way back in the original days, back in 1989. That was the same season I was on, by the way, Glenn. <clears throat> oh, cool. Prior U.S. military police sergeant. Um, and the author of four published books we're going to talk about today. Glenn, welcome to The Voice for American Law Enforcement. Thank you, Randy. Thanks for having me on. Sure thing, man. So, okay, you have done, you've done uh, quite a bit of police service. You, yes. I mean, you started out in the military. You didn't get enough of it there, and then you came out. And was Broward County the only department that you served with? Well, I started out with a small city called the city of Dania. Uh, for about four years until they merged with the county sheriff in 1988. And I stayed with them through 2009 when I retired. Fantastic. Okay. Tell us a little about your law enforcement career. Well, like I said, I started off in the city of Dania. It's a small town, a beach city. I started initially as a reserve officer. I was there for a few months. I put a lot of time in and an opening came up for a full-time position. So I applied, got hired almost immediately, uh, went to the police academy, uh, went through the FTO training. Uh, I kind of became like a part-time supervisor after a short time because we were so small. Until 1988, when the sheriff took over the agency and, and emerged. At that point, uh, about a little less than a year later, I took the sergeant's exam, passed it, and for my last 20 years, I was patrol supervisor. Okay, so you went from a small town copper to uh, to uh, uh, the the sheriff's department. It's kind of a big change, wasn't it? It was a very big change going from a department where we had maybe like two or three guys on the shift to having about 12 and then to a you know, about six or 7,000 man agency. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a big difference. I, I Similarly, I started out in a small town, Princeton, New Jersey. We had 30 cops and then went to yeah. Las Vegas Metro, where, of course, ninth largest department in the country. Big, big changes yeah. when you make that when you make that that switch. So yes, what it was so you you've you've also written a number of books. First of all, when you went through your your police experience, um, what was it that that um, kind of gave you the idea to write a book to begin with? Because it's a it is a real time consuming, and you know it's a it's a real process. So, what brought you to that is. that decision? Well, ironically, uh, my first book called The Hurt was a true crime drama that happened well before I was in policing. So as part of this, uh, we had a drive-by shooting homicide of a bouncer at a rock and roll club where I was working at. And that's what I based the book off of. Actually, it started off as a movie script. Then I had it transformed into a book, which is now the book called The Hurt. 
So the that was well before policing. So wait a minute, you wrote that book before you were a cop? Yes. Oh, really? Well, so, actually, I'm take that back. I had the story before I was a cop. I wrote it while I was when I was working as a police officer. Oh, okay, okay. But the story itself was prior policing. I see. I understand. Okay. All right. So that yeah. was your that was your first one, but uh, yes. so what was the second one? Uh, the second one was a uh, called Look a Quarter. It's an autobiographical anecdotes about my crazy life growing up in New York, going through the military, through policing, uh, through the to the uh, bodyguard work I've done, and to what I'm doing today. Okay, uh, so that was number two. How about three and four? Right. Uh, number three is um, Operation 1600. It's a political thriller about a corrupt U.S. president that gets us involved in a nuclear exchange with Russia. Wait a minute. A corrupt <laughs> president? Get out of here. That's too far-fetched. That That's too far-fetched. <laughs> who that is. <laughs> okay, that's number three. And the fourth one? The fourth one is a... Uh, a sequel to the first one, The Hurt. This is called The the Real Story Behind The Hurt and the Rise and Fall of Extremists. And that one takes place uh, 25 years later after the after the, the Rock and Roll Club closed down. The original owner reopened it and turned out that he's a big Antifa and Black Lives Matter person who lets all these criminals hide out in his rock and roll clubs and commit havoc when they're not working there. You, you Now, is this a true story? No, it's not a true story. Okay, well, listen, I, there, there is nothing that would surprise me anymore, okay? I, so, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> really, for sure. So, you know, writing is, is an entirely different endeavor than policing. Um, oh, yeah. Is this something that you found, you found was cathartic? when you were doing your writing or was this just a, a way to to get your creative juices flowing and create a work that you wanted to bring forth i think it's probably a little bit of both uh it was cathartic in a way that on the first book since i lived through that uh, that 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 horrible day and was privy to most of the the how it how, how the case panned out through the through the arrest through the trials uh, that was an easy one to write because I was I lived it. Uh, the other ones that I got, I said, well, this wasn't that hard. Let me try another one. And this was during like just prior to the COVID pandemic. Uh, I just started writing. And I go, let me put something together about my crazy life. And I started working on that one. Then I go, that was fairly easy. Let me try this one. Then I had another idea about another one. And it just kind of went on and on and on. And I kind of just mainly worked with them through the pandemic because my office was shut down for almost seven weeks. So I had nothing to do except sit in front of the computer. Oh, so so you took good advantage of that time. Excellent. So yes. what what are you what are you doing now besides being a writer? Well, I'm working for a uh, a driving school as a driving instructor and test administrator, and plus I'm also a private investigator. So you haven't quite got the the uh, the uh, even though you've got your retirement, you still want to keep out there and be active. Yeah, I, there's no way I can sit around and the, the honeydew <laughs> list gets too long. <laughs> I hear you. I understand that. <laughs> so what is what is uh, um, next on your agenda of create, creativity, creativity? Let me try that again. Creativity-wise. Uh, well, I am working on a, a fifth one. Uh, it's going to be about a, uh, 
a kid that was bullied that became the most prolific serial killer in the country. Uh, that one's taken me a while to do. Uh, I'm going to take my time with it. I try to incorporate events around the country and try to incorporate them into the book and kind of build a story of that. So that's my next endeavor. A fictional book. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, good. It sounds like you've, you've been staying really, really busy. How are the books doing? Uh, not too bad. I mean, uh, you know, I get every once in a while to get a royalty check from the publisher. Uh, you know, it, it's not a lot, but I really didn't do it for the money. I just did it because it was something I felt I wanted to do as like a legacy and say, I think I can do this. And I just, you know, I, I filled my, my, uh, my idea of doing it. And I'm happy with it. Good. That's great. Now, um, do you miss policing? Uh, sometimes I do. Not all the time. Especially now with, with the what's going on today in the world, uh, how the cops are second-class citizens again. Uh, they have no respect from anybody. Uh, it's, it's just horrible every time I see what happens to them on the news. And it's just a, a terrible thing. And even when I, have, when I have students in my car and we're practicing, they go, yeah, I want to get into law enforcement. I go, Go to fire service. You're probably better off. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> you're you're right there. So when when you're um, when you're having conversations, are you still in touch with people that you worked with on the job? Uh, and yes, I am. Because matter of fact, where I work, I run into the deputies all the time, and they stop and they talk and they talk about what's going on now with the new sheriff. Nothing really good that they can say, but uh, I run into them. We talk about old times. They were on my shift, you know, now they're, they're promoted or they're getting ready to retire. I retired in 2009 and these guys are still plugging along. What's their, what is, do you think is the, uh, the tenor of what they are experiencing now? How is the, how are they coping with the issues? Well, they, well, in a way they have to cope with them or else they don't have a job. Uh, you know, they have the body cams now. If they forget to turn it on, they're suspended. Uh, there's, it seems like there's still not a lot of backing from their administration. Uh, they just really want to just go out there and do their 12-hour day and go home. Right. Now, Broward County, isn't that the county that had the sheriff that was, uh, was it Israel? Yes. And he was removed from office, if I remember correctly. Right. He was removed by the governor, by DeSantis. Over because of the school shooting that they had, and and then they had that shooting at the airport a year prior to that, and then he he just installed this other guy. And uh, and so you're you're hearing issues involving him as well. Uh, yeah, because apparently he's had his own problems that he apparently hid from FDLE on on federal applications. Uh, he. Something about a gun that he owned or didn't own. He didn't say he never, never was a victim or or a suspect in a crime. It turned out that he, when he was a teenager, he killed some kid. Uh, but they said that was self defense, but it was really never proven. So all these little things started to come out about him. So the I think the state of Florida was looking to do to a decertify him and take away his police powers, but that would still keep him as the sheriff. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's politics as usual here. It's that, that is just that's amazing to me. It's amazing to me, and you know, with with what's going on, police leadership needs to be courageous, needs to be um, backing their people with what we're seeing as far as the 
basically the wholesale retirements and resignations yeah. across the country. And, and what is the most probably the most important aspect of retaining good people and attracting new people is leadership. Yes. So what, but unfortunately, we're seeing the politicization of police leadership roles. And, you know, oh, yeah. it was, uh, uh, it's, it's disappointing to hear that once again, I mean, literally from the frying pan to the fire, that's got to affect the morale of the officers of uh, on, on the department that you once served, which, of course, becomes, I mean, you can't help but being a little personally invested in that, correct? Yes, of course. I mean, it's, 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 it has changed since the early 80s and the 90s of policing. Uh, it wasn't political. Your administration, you know, stood up for you right to the very end unless they couldn't. Today, it's just like the opposite. They want to throw you to the fire. Uh, they immediately want to, you're guilty, prove yourself innocent. Uh, and it, it's a horrible way to go through the job. And that's, you know, that's why these guys, they still have, I think they still have that Ferguson effect going on. Yeah, exactly. And for those of you that, that are watching or listening, the Ferguson effect uh, has a couple other names too, including de-policing. And that means that officers are literally afraid to do the job that they were sworn to do. And they're afraid not because of the physical aspects, not because of the dangers involved in dealing with a suspect, but yeah. fear of their own administrations, fear yeah. of activist district attorneys prosecuting them instead of the bad guys, and the fear of having, you know, 15 seconds of, um, of uh, video going viral, which, which then not only affects them, but it affects their families. And this is something, I mean, this is a phenomenon that now we have, we have seen over the last um, number of years, is it not, Glenn? Yes, and I think it's, unfortunately, it's still out there. And unfortunately, the newer guys see what the older guys are doing, and then they're doing what the older guys are doing. So it's a, it's a, it's a full circle. It's like nothing actually wants to get done. They want to come to work, be safe, go home. That's the job. Yeah, there. You know, there's there's some reference to to uh, um, policing like fire departments now. Um, basically, uh, you, basically, you hide in the garage until until the nine one one call comes out. So, right. and that's un that's really unfortunate. Remember, I mean, you and I were cops back in in the, in the same era, where yeah. you know you you judged the effectiveness of being of a police officer by the amount of arrests and by the amount of, of contacts they had and that's yep. that's how you said you know that guy's a good cop because he was out right. there running and gunning and doing you know putting the bad guys in jail that's now right. they have they have they have taken that away and as a result what are we seeing we're seeing the crime rates of a magnitude we've never seen before in history. And plus, you add to that the, like you said, the progressive DAs that don't want to prosecute anybody. They don't want to. Uh, they want to defund the police. Whoever, never in a million years would hear of something like that. And want to put social workers out there handling calls. I mean, it, it, I don't know what world we're living in anymore. Yeah, this is uh, this is affecting cops all over the country. Well, you know. Um, uh, so you're working on a new book. You got four out yes. there. Where can your books Where can your books be found? 
Well, they're all on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can also get them on Kindle, Nook, and on the uh, publisher's website, Ex Libris. Okay, so what are the names of those books again for the audience? You have The Hurt, The uh, uh, Operation 1600, The Real Story Behind The Hurt, and Look a Quarter. Fantastic. Well, Glenn, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on to the Voice for American Law Enforcement. And uh, good luck on your new book and on your you continued. <laughs> and because I know, I, I know the process, man. I know the process. Yeah. Thank you very much. I hope your book does well, too, the new one. Yeah, it's, I, I do have that new one coming out, Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's Sounds good. All right. Glenn, thanks for joining me here at the Voice for American Law Enforcement. Thank you very much, Randy. So before we get into the, the current news, I want to talk about um, an incredible company and a device that is going to save the lives of untold numbers of cops. Now, you know that I am the founder of the Wounded Blue. We are the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled officers. And, uh, you know, startlingly, last year, more than 62,000 American law enforcement officers were physically assaulted. That's an astounding number, 62,000. Uh, they were shot, they were stabbed, they were beaten. And although, you know, we deal with the aftermath of those injuries, those men and women, but what if we could prevent those catastrophic injuries and deaths from happening? Well, there is a way now, there is, a, there is an avenue that can help. And I was fortunate enough to meet with the owner of Armor Research Company, Ken Hall. And Ken Hall uh, has an incredible team um, that has invented one of the most incredible devices I've ever seen. I'm going to show it to you right now. Now, I'm going to give you a little background. This is a, this is a shield. This is a ballistic shield that is so lightweight and has the ability to stop an AK-47 round, a 308 round, rifle rounds. And it is revolutionary because literally this can be in every patrol car in America and should be. Up until recently, the shields that are out there, ballistic shields, are very, very unwieldy. They're very heavy. Well, now I'm going to show you this amazing device, this amazing shield. It is right here. This is the, um, this is the smaller one. There's a 21-inch and a 26-inch. But, but look, I, I could literally pick it up with one finger. This is life-saving, life-saving stuff. And every patrol car in America should have this. Um, I can tell you right now that this will save lives. Um, it's a very, very new technology. Um, Ken Hall and his team have the patent on this. Uh, I literally had them as had Ken as a guest at our Law Enforcement Survival Summit. And uh, we just showed this to some of the police agencies up there, and they went wild. This is, this is, uh, this is uh, literally one of the most innovative devices I've ever seen in policing. You know, Kev Kevlar vests have saved the lives of countless cops. This will too. And uh, here's the other part, that Ken Hall and his team over there 
are such devotees of the Wounded Blue that they're giving 10% of the sales of these amazing devices to the Wounded Blue to help other cops. So if you want um, uh, information on this, contact me personally. I will connect you with Ken Hall and his team. Contact me, Randy, at thewoundedblue.org. Randy at thewoundedblue.org and to talk about the Compact Shield. So, talking about Compact Shields and what maybe this might have played a role in, in saving these two cops from, from devastating injuries, um, this, is, this is a bad news, good news story. It's happened in Newark, New Jersey. Good Samaritans jumped into action to help two wounded Newark police officers after a gunman opened fire on them in the parking lot of an apartment complex. One officer was shot in the leg, the other was shot in the face, and the bullet traveled down into his body. Uh, cell phone footage showed one of the wounded heroes lying on the pavement with a pool of blood beside him. He propped his upper body upright as a vehicle pulled up a moment later. A woman got out of the car. She shielded these officers with her car and then went out and, and, and got a piece of fabric to help slow the bleeding from his neck. And she continued to help him even as more gunfire rang out. Now, I, I, this, is, this shows you a couple things. One, it shows you the incredible danger that these officers are in literally every single day. But secondly, it also shows the amazing, the amazing um, courage, literally courage under fire by a woman who, who did what she felt she had to do. This is American heroism at its best. And you know, the, these officers took fire from a, a sniper. Um, this is what these shields if they had had the, the, this shield, then it's very possible that they wouldn't have received the injuries that they did. Um, that's why I'm so, I'm, I, I, I'm so uh, excited about bringing the news out about this device because uh, I, I know the capabilities of it. But, um, but a big shout out to this. She has not been identified. Um, but uh, I, I, I say this, that this is... Uh, this is America at its best. So a big shout out to her uh, for helping these two officers. Both are going to survive. That's um, that's a great story, in in the in the one way, but it also shows the incredible danger that officers are facing literally every single day. America out loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, 
it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. It's not all bad news out there. You know, I, I sometimes I, I seem to focus on that. But I, I like to point out some of the amazing police work that's being done too here's a here's an interesting story and there's uh, there's two aspects of this story i'm going to comment on this is from the charlotte observer the headline is deputy saves man from submerged car then responds to a rollover the same night after pulling the man from the water the deputy left that scene to respond to a rollover where he put out a fire in one of the vehicles this is in Defuniac Springs, Florida. One Florida deputy came to the rescue at two different crashes in one night, and it started with the jarring moment when he saw hands gripping the steering wheel of a sinking truck. The hectic series of events began around 10 p.m. when a pickup was found in the Hogtown Bayou, and the uh, Walton County Sheriff's Office said uh, released this information. The crash site, about 65 miles east of Pensacola. Uh, this is from uh, the sheriff. When he ran to the end of the dock, Deputy Robert Petoniak saw hands on the steering wheel inside the truck. Without hesitation, Petoniak removed his gear, dove into the water, swimming to the submerged vehicle. The male driver was clearly disoriented, and Deputy Petoniak had to forcibly remove him from the truck, carrying him through the water. To the dock. A second deputy, Sergeant Josh Bennett, pulled the driver from the water. Petoniak then swam back to the truck to make sure no one else was inside and the truck was empty. Both Petoniak and the driver were examined by medics at the scene. Now, then, that wasn't enough. Then he had, leaving the, the, that scene uh, to go change clothes. Before he could even change clothes, he drove up on a crash and immediately rendered aid to victims in a vehicle whose uh, vehicle that rolled over in the middle of the highway. Still soaked from the previous call, it didn't stop him from trying to put out the small fire in one of the vehicles. You know, now, you know so I, I'm telling you this story for two reasons. One, it's because it it really demonstrates that officers are literally 
going from call to call to call, and each one can be a dramatic call. It can be a life-changing event. I can tell you this from, from experience. Saving the life of another human being um, it is very often a life-changing event. So it's also a very emotional event. And these officers get no time to decompress, no time to mentally think about and emotionally think about what they have done and come to terms with it. Because even, even doing heroic work does play an emotional role in a police officer's life. But they don't have the luxury of of taking even a few minutes very often. They have to go out and do the job over and over again. So I think it's really imperative that that we understand what these officers are going through. And it's just another reason to support these men and women and come to an understanding about what their true, true role is in society. It's truly being a hero. So um, a big shout out to... Uh, to the sheriff's deputy Petodiak and um, and uh, his life-saving skills. Lots more to talk about. But before I do that, I want to talk about another another um, another firm, another company that's helping cops all over the nation. Now we have seen since the Antifa riots that that many of the people who hate law enforcement and threaten law enforcement are savvy when it comes down to doxing. Doxing, of course, meaning um, trolling these officers online and on social media. And what I came to find out from officerprivacy.com was that it's really easy to find out where these officers live, who their family is, the cars that they drive, I did not know how easy it was. Well, officerprivacy.com does an invaluable service. And I, I think it's life-saving too, because it it removes it removes the stuff on the on the internet that relates to identifying and locating police officers. So as far as I'm concerned, this is something that every cop needs to look at. And every former cop, too, because you've still got enemies out there. So go to officerprivacy.com. And Pete James over there makes it very, very affordable. This is not a high-ticket item. He's even got a free version if you want to do it yourself. Uh, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain going to officerprivacy.com and checking out this incredible service that he provides. You know, talking about... Talking about how dangerous it is to be a cop these days. And if you listen to the show or watch this show on America Out Loud or on any of the podcast services, you'll know that I often refer to these activist district attorneys who have been literally placed into office because of their anti-law enforcement attitudes. And many of these activist district attorneys, I call them Trojan horse district attorneys, because they've actually been put in office. How? Because millions and millions and millions of dollars have been put 
into the coffers of these, quote, progressive, unquote, district attorneys, and now they're even doing it with sheriffs. George Soros's dirty money is putting these, uh, these activists, these anti-law enforcement district attorneys into office throughout America. They've been very, very effective. And what's the results of this? I'm going to read you this headline. This has a happy ending, but just because it had a happy ending doesn't mean that it didn't devastate the officer who was involved. Virginia cop acquitted for killing knife-wielding suspect who threatened his wife and children. I, I, I followed this case from when it first happened, and I, I could not believe what I was seeing when I read about him being prosecuted. An off-duty Norfolk police officer who was charged in the fatal shooting of an armed man who had threatened the officer's wife and young daughters was acquitted of voluntary manslaughter. A Chesapeake jury returned the not guilty verdict in the retrial of 36-year-old Norfolk Police Department officer Edmund Ryan Hoyt after just an hour of deliberation. Now, this is from a story in the Virginian pilot. Officer Hoyt, a military veteran, had been charged with voluntary manslaughter in the January 19, 2020 death of 42-year-old Kelvin White. The officer was off duty when he received a call from his wife that afternoon telling him that a man armed with a knife was threatening her and their two young children as they were walking to the store. His wife, Jessica Hoyt, later told investigators that White had stepped in front of her and her children as she was pushing a stroller down the sidewalk and he refused to move. Jessica Hoyt testified that when she asked White to step aside, he took another step towards her and her children. That's when she said she warned them she was carrying a container of mace and that she wasn't afraid to use it. White allegedly told her he had a knife and threatened to stab her in the face. Officer Hoyt rushed to the scene to defend his family and ultimately held White at gunpoint while ordering him to the ground. Witnesses said the off-duty cop also identified himself as a law enforcement officer during the ordeal. Jessica Hyde testified that White refused to get onto the ground, so her husband holstered his weapon and attempted to subdue the armed man. White pulled out a knife. During the ensuing brawl, Officer White shoved him away, drew his gun, and shot him. White was hit three times and died from his wounds. Investigators determined White stood over six feet tall, weighed 285 pounds, had several sharp weapons on him at the time of the confrontation. Seven months later, the prosecutors charged Officer Hoyt with voluntary manslaughter. He was subsequently released on bond and placed on admin duty, where he remained through his court proceedings. He had joined the NPD approximately one year before the shooting occurred. Officer Hoyt's attorney told juries, jurors the officer was defending himself and his family from a violent attack. The prosecutors noted that White had a history of schizophrenia and alleged Officer Hoyt escalated the situation when he pointed his gun at the knife-wielding man. This is a prosecutor that he, the officer, pointed a gun. Oh, well, who wouldn't point a gun at a guy with a knife? The, the idiocy. And the political uh, portion of this is astounding. Now, here's, here's 
what White's brother. He said that Officer Hoyt knew how to stop his brother without using deadly force because of his training, but he chose to shoot him anyway. You know, the only thing I can say that, that's a positive in this story is that his department didn't just throw him away. They kept him on admin leave and kept him employed. That shows that, that the department actually backed him. Now, the prosecutor's office, that's a whole other story. And this is what we've seen around the country. Now, why? Now this officer, even though he's acquitted, his life is in shambles. He'll never be the same from, from this ordeal. And this is what we're doing to our cops across the country. It's happening. It's happening in in New York. It's happening in L.A. It's happening in Oregon, where the where these prosecutors are are waging war against the cops, not against the criminals. This man's a hero. He saved his wife and children, and he gets prosecuted for it. That's madness. Madness. And the next story I'm going to talk about is just as bad. This makes me sick. It makes me sick to, to read these stories. But if I don't get this information to you, how will you know? Because you're not going to see this on the mainstream media. Other than, other than a headline about, about another, another cop being prosecuted and being used for propaganda purposes for the anti-law enforcement lobby out there. Judge refuses to dismiss charges against ex-Grand Rapids cop who shot Patrick Leola, Leoa. Now, this is from the Police Tribune. I've been following this since, since day one. I watched the videotape of this incident when it happened. I'll read it to you, then we'll talk about it. The now former Grand Rapids police officer who fatally shot a man who tried to disarm him during a fight that broke out during a traffic stop will stand trial for second-degree murder, a judge ruled on Monday. Michigan State District Court Nicholas Ayub, if you live in Michigan, remember that when it comes down to re-election time, ruled on October 31st that sufficient evidence exists in the case against 31-year-old former Grand Rapids police officer Christopher Schur for the matter to proceed to trial. Ayub said that Michigan's legal process calls for a jury to determine whether Schur was justified in using deadly force. So here's what happened. And like I said, I watched this videotape numerous times. The officer made a car stop on Leoa for impaired driving. Leoa was, he's a big guy, big guy, uh, was completely uncooperative with, with the officer. Uh, he asked him for his driver's license registration. The, the, the car, by the way, he has a history of stealing cars. The car um, is still, uh, they're still not sure whether it was stolen or not. But from the outset, he was uncooperative, and he got out of the car, and you can see him towering over this officer. And the officer's doing everything to de-escalate, everything to bring this to a conclusion that doesn't include becoming another victim 
But Leola wasn't having any of it. And after, after some dancing around, he finally ran. And the officer is chasing him. And the officer is trying to deploy a taser. Well, it wound up in a, in a fight for his life. And the suspect had, had his taser and was trying to take his taser away. They're on the ground. Now, this was over, this was almost two minutes of hand-to-hand -hand combat. And I've got to tell you, I've, I've been in this situation. You get exhausted from this, this, this physical confrontation. It is literally a fight for your life. Your adrenaline is spiked. Your heartbeat is so rapid, it's beating out of your chest. You become, you become um, so immersed in this that once, once this action is stopped, your entire body crashes down. But, but literally, this officer is literally in a fight for his life. And when it got to the point where he couldn't fight anymore, that he, was, he had the suspect down on the ground trying not to let him get up where he could use the taser against him, which could be fatal to him. He shot the suspect, one shot in the head, and it ended the fight. This officer has a stellar record. He's got multiple, multiple um, medals. And what do they do? This district attorney... Another one decides he's going to prosecute this officer. And now he's facing trial for murder and a life sentence for doing what he was supposed to do. And, and the, police, the, the police department testified at the preliminary hearing that everything he do, did, that everything this officer did was within policy. But the prosecutor, the district attorney said, no, nope, no, nope, this is a white cop killing a black man. We're charging him. And we wonder why cops across America are pulling in their heads just doing the minimal amount of work, trying to stay away from any confrontation with anybody because then they know that they can be the next Chris Scher. Every single cop in America is watching this case. Every single cop in America knows what happened with that other officer I just talked about. And the many, many other police officers in this country who have been facing what I call persecution by prosecution. Most of these officers are being acquitted. Once a jury sees what the facts are, they're being acquitted. But that doesn't, that doesn't end the pain for these officers. They've had their entire life ripped out from under them. Now this officer has done nothing wrong. He's literally on trial for his life. This is why America has to change. This is why America has to unite. So my book is about, my new book is coming out. It'll probably be out by Christmas. And you can find it right now. You can pre-order it, rescuing911.org. Just, just put your email in there and we'll notify you when it comes out. 
But it's a call to action. It's a call for unity. It's a call for Americans to stand up for their police and for their nation, for their safety. I mean, look at, look at the astounding crime rates. No one is safe anymore. And with the police basically being forced to stand down, it's becoming more and more dangerous to be a citizen of this nation. People in New York are literally scared to death to walk the streets. They're prisoners in their own apartments and businesses. Same thing in Portland, same thing in Seattle. Everyone that, every city that has embraced this, this, this liberal ideological insanity of no bail, low bail, oh, it's, it's, we have to jump on the social justice bandwagon. Every one of them has seen this, this absolute tsunami of crime in their cities. And the leadership? Well, maybe during the election, we'll hopefully see a big change coming. I don't know. I don't know if the damage has done has been done ideologically by now. So it's going to be very interesting to see the results of the, this election. And I'm not a political person. I don't care if you got a D or an R behind your name. I just expect you to do the right thing. If you're a leader, I expect you to re lead with the safety of your people in, in, in front of your mind. That's not what we're seeing. So this is going to be a very interesting time in American history. But my book, Rescuing 911, asks that all of us, all of us in this country unite. Unite for the common good. Unite for law enforcement. And I pray that that, that takes place. Please get your copy of the book, rescuing911.org. So while we're talking about, I want to talk about crime statistics for a minute. We all know that the crime is out of control in Los Angeles, in New York, in many of the big cities. But if you look at the crime stats that have been put out by the media, a very, very complicit media, complicit with the ideology of the elected leadership of this nation, it's been suppressed. And what's very interesting is that the correct numbers of the murders, rapes, violent armed robberies, is being pushed down with help from the FBI. I mean, there, the FBI has proven to me to be one of the one of the biggest disappointments in law enforcement history. A once proud agency considered to be the premier law enforcement agency in the world has now become corrupt at the top leadership. Corrupt because of ideology, because of policies and practices that have been instituted because of a perverted ideology of social justice. Yeah, even the FBI has become woke. And they have, they have literally suppressed the truth about crime in America. This is part of that. More than a dozen whistleblowers within the FBI have led Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee to compile a condemning report 
saying the federal jury, uh, federal uh, agency is, quote, rotted at its core, has a systemic culture of unaccountability, and is full of rampant corruption, manipulation, and abuse. It's a 1,050-page report. Lawmakers accuse the Bureau's top leaders of pursuing a woke leftist agenda. Part of their strategy includes artificially inflating the numbers of domestic extremism investigations, burying the investigation into first son Hunter Biden, and forcing conservative employees out the door, forcing them out. Quite simply, the problem, the rot within the FBI festers in and proceeds from Washington. The FBI and its parent agency, the Justice Department, have become political institutions. Uh, this, is a, this is a really, really disturbing report. It should disturb every single American, because I don't care if you are a D or you are an R. This is about the, the abuse of the largest police law enforcement agency in America. They have extraordinary power. And this should be an apolitical agency. It should be about crime and about fighting that crime, not about pursuing politics, but it is. And it has to be changed. Now, I, I, now I started this about, about statistics, right? Because up until this last couple of years, the crime stats were, were all compiled by the FBI, Uniform Crime Reporting. And they were very accurate. Well, somehow, last two years ago, they decided to change the system. And the system is so unwieldy. It's so, it, 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 nobody can figure it out. It is, and they did this on purpose. And, and you know, the biggest police agencies in the country haven't even participated. New York didn't even give them their stats. L.A. didn't give them their stats. So it's all skewed. Now, I don't believe in coincidences. They didn't give them their stats because they don't want the people to know. Instead, they pretend that Governor Hochul, who is a joke, is part of his corruption. It's, it's their policies of no bail, no bail, uh, turnstile uh, justice system that has created this, this cacophony of crime. And now they're not even, they're not even talking about what the real stats are because they're not giving them. You have Bragg, the district attorney there, an, another ideal, ideologue. So this is really, this is a, a major issue in America. A major issue in America. Now, before, um, we're coming to the close, but there, I, I want to talk about another, another incredible company that is doing amazing work. Now, this is for real. I'm really directing this to my law enforcement audience. Um, Thin Blue Defend is a company that, is, that has created an app. You need to have this app. It may save your career. It may save you from some of what we just talked about because this is about use of force. And it is an incredible breakthrough in chronicling your use of force so that you are in control of that information. So what I'm going I'm to suggest that you do is go to thinbluedefend.com. 
thinbluedefend.com. Thinbluedefend.com. Check out this app. I've seen it. I know the guy who created it, Doug Parker, um, spent decades in the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. He saw the need, and he worked for years to develop this incredible app. And it literally every police department should be purchasing it for for their for their officers. But if they're not going to, bring this to their attention. ThinBlueDefend.com. Bring this to the attention of your leadership. And if they don't give it to you, buy it for yourself. Buy it for yourself. Look, read the go to the, the homepage, thinbluedefend.com. Read about it, study up on it, call Doug Parker and his people. It's not expensive, and it's really, literally, it's going to save your career. This was born from need. And Doug and his folks over there, well, they recognized the need, and they stepped up to the plate, and they're doing something about it. Go to thinbluedefend.com. At the, at the end of the day, it's my mission to bring you information, both about the news, about law enforcement in general, but I really want to talk to you about the Wounded Blue, because the Wounded Blue is an organization that is doing amazing things. It's a national charity, and it is made up of, of it's all volunteer, made up of cops who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed over. They continue to serve in an amazing way by providing peer support for other injured and disabled officers. Now, those injuries can be physical or they can be emotional and psychological. Or very often they're both at the same time. But they need your help. They need your financial support. If you go to the woundedblue.org, go to the donate button and give what you can. If you can do $10 a month, that's great. You can do 25 bucks a month, that's fantastic. Or just even a one-time donation. But I ask you to support this incredible organization because I can tell you right now, they are saving lives. You know, the suicide rate for law enforcement is off the hook. Roughly three to five times the number of police officers who die in the line of duty will take their own lives. That's an astounding number. You can help these men and women. Help the Wounded Blue. Go to thewoundedblue.org. If you're a company and you want to donate, you want to become a partner, a financial partner, contact me, Randy, at thewoundedblue.org. Randy at thewoundedblue.org. We have some amazing financial partners. And if you go to our website, you'll be able to see all these great companies that support us. So go to thewoundedblue.org. Give what you can. See what we're all about. If you are a law enforcement officer or no law enforcement officer who is struggling, reach out to us. That's what we're here for. So at the end of the show, I always do a segment called End of Watch. And it is where we honor the sacrifice of those officers who made the ultimate sacrifice and gave their lives in the line of duty this week. Police officer Logan K. Medlock of the London Police Department in Kentucky. Police officer Logan Medlock was killed when his patrol car was struck by a drunk driver at the intersection of KY 229 and South Main Street at 12.50 a.m. 
Officer Medlock was driving in, in southbound on South Main when the pickup truck ran a stop sign, struck the patrol car, pushing it into an adjacent cemetery. Officer Medlock succumbed to his injuries at the scene. The driver was arrested and charged with murder of a police officer and driving under the influence. Officer Medlock had served with the London police for three years, had previously served with the Laurel County Correctional Center. He survived by his wife and son. Police Officer Logan K. Medlock, London Police Department, Kentucky. End of watch, Sunday, October 30th, 2022. I appreciate you taking the time to join me here at the Voice for American Law Enforcement. Please tell your friends about it. If you want to contact me, contact me on Facebook at the Voice for American Law Enforcement. If you have a suggestion, if you want to just connect with me, you want to support the Wounded Blue, I'm easy to find. I'm Randy at thewoundedblue.org. If you want information about the shield, that amazing shield I told you about, contact me there. I'll put you in contact with that team over at Armor Research Company. Thanks again for joining me. I'll see you next week right here at AmericaOutloud.com and The Voice for American Law Enforcement.